You're listening to Money FM 89.3 and it's now time for Under the Radar with me, Chua Tian Tian. Now we're going to bring you an inside look into a conglomerate investment company with operations and financial interests in resources, property and hospitality. Now founded in the early years of Singapore's colonial history and we are talking about 1887 by the way here, Streets Trading first started out as a company catering to the region's growing tin smelting industry. Now, it became renowned for its tin smelting operations by 1900 and accounted for two-thirds of Malaya's tin output. Now, Streets Trading has evolved over the years to expand into sectors such as property, equity investments and hospitality, but which is the most important business vertical for the firm? And meanwhile, the firm posted a net loss of $121.8 million dollars for the second half of 2022 amid higher capitalization rates and a reduction in fair values of investment properties in Australia, China, South Korea and the UK. Now, question is, what are we looking at this year? And also, how is the company walking the tightrope between revenue growth versus cost management in a high interest rate environment? Well, for more, let's speak to Eric Ting, CEO of Straits Developments Private Limited, also Group COO of Straits Trading. And uh, Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Tian Tian. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on board. And uh, Eric, we've briefly talked about Straits Trading as this conglomerate investment company, but we really want to hear from you. Take us through Straits Trading's value proposition and business model. I think the biggest value proposition is that uh, we're looking at the uh, advantage of a conglomerate uh, diversified company. Uh, Many people have seen it as a disadvantage simply because the simple theory goes that if you're interested in, let's say, hotel, you can do hotel. You're interested in uh, office asset, you can do office asset. Why do you need to be involved in everything conglomerate? And then also at the stock exchange level, people tend to give a discount to say that you know, since it's everything, then it's hard to put the value. Uh, so that, in a way, disadvantage the share price. But nevertheless, we feel that uh, it's not important for us to go to the point where today's market look at things that way. Uh, that whatever has taken us this far the last 135 years, uh, we believe that we remain resilient, we remain uh, resourceful, and most important, we remain relevant. Okay, And that essentially is the philosophy and the so-called the standing values that give us the so-called the strategy that makes us relevant. And essentially, to answer your question, in that case, we are always um, moving. We are looking at risk-adjusted return. We're looking at uh, asset allocation and we're looking at business from a very broader perspective. And businesses that we know we are good at, not any business, they just come our way. And Eric, you talk about the over 100 year of history for Straits Trading. And Straits Trading at one point was the world's largest tin smelting company, providing over half of global supply. And that's in the early 1900s. Of course, as you mentioned, the company has diversified since then. Take us through your business activities under the different verticals. And property by far is your largest portfolio for now. Is it the most important vertical for you as well? Yes, I would say uh, the short answer would be property uh, remains an important vertical, but I would say all aspects of the three businesses we have had uh, would remain important, not because we are sentimental. Uh, why do I say that? Because for quite some time since 1985, when team prices collapsed, uh, obviously uh, there were many areas of resources that we diversified into, nickel, copper, silver, etc., any other form of metals. That doesn't mean that tin is out of fashion or it's in the sunset. 
the company truly did not believe in that. And uh, today, the, the evidence of uh, the thin industry, the opportunities in the market, especially in the EV or electric vehicle, clearly uh, validate that what we did by keeping on to the business and making sure that we reprioritize the business to focus on the full upstream and downstream of team would pay off. And, and I'm glad the company, especially under the uh, leadership of our chairman, Ms. Chiu, have uh, proved to everybody that the tin is still a sunrise industry. So that's a, a, a very good example for me to, uh, to reply to you. But the value of today's business in terms of asset will always remain in the property because the property value are always higher, as you probably know. Uh, and uh, property is something that almost every company, uh, whether they are private or listed, are involved in. But that doesn't mean we do what everybody else is doing. We also look at it from a very diversified system where we look at all forms of property, except for not having stake in uh, investment in uh, so-called uh, real estate sales agency, going to almost all aspects of the ecosystem, be it asset management, be it uh, public security, be it development, you know, be it uh, shopping mall, etc., etc., and of course office. So we do many of that. And in terms of geographical markets, um, Eric, I understand streets trading is present in a variety of uh, areas, including Singapore, Australia, China, South Korea, Japan, you have Malaysia and the UK as well. What would you say is the strategic value provided by the respective markets you're in? I think the strategic value would lies in the way we are able to uh, clearly set look, uh, to do the asset allocation and also to look at uh, the recycling as well as the risk management, risk-adjusted return. Uh, so there are many examples to give you. Perhaps the best example I can share with you that a lot of people have asked me in the past, like almost like seven, eight years ago, is when you took an asset like the straight trading building in Raffles Place, in 2014, it was divested. The value of the asset is $450 million. Now, it will continue to grow as a fiscal asset for the next, say, 5-10 years because within the tide or the sea of property, high tide, low tide, you know, it goes with the cycle. You will enjoy the return. You will enjoy the inflation, you know, the, the things like that. And, of course, you enjoy the, the cash from the renter, the revenue. You have to spend money every few years on the capex, on the maintenance, on the repair, etc., etc. So, do we take a, a position where... How do we unlock the value and continue to stay in the property space and risk adjust and make more money out of it? Risk adjust as in you stay in the property space, you didn't take the property's money and go into oil and gas or go into something else that you're, you're not good at, so you stay put. So that value of the 450 million, okay, will also multiply each year in the same growth pattern, but because it's cash, you could reallocate, you could recycle. And we have actually, within seven years, you know, created up to two billion in terms of asset value for the 450 million. So that's a classic example of how you can take an asset and do it. But of course, to be fair, most people can do it. Most people also feel that there's nothing wrong to keep the asset for as long as you wish to. That's also okay, if you understand what I mean. But so I thought I'd give you this example mm. because many people have always asked, why would you want to do that? Yeah, but that's one of the good reasons of uh, explaining to you whether regardless of geography or market, we look at the concept of uh, risk-adjusted return, we look at the concept of how we 
best allocate our resources and our capital. Any preferred markets for you in terms of your returns, which is the highest, if, if I can ask? Okay, there's uh, no okay, there's no real preferred market in the sense that we're in those markets that you have actually highlighted earlier. Uh, but I would say each market has its own dynamics. To give you two or three examples, uh, so that I don't specify that I'm recommending which, which market is good. But the market could change tomorrow or this afternoon. <laughs> if you understand what I mean. Okay, one simple example of three examples I give you is low interest rate market. So Japan market is low. Okay, uh, anyone will tell you that. You don't need an expert to tell you that. So obviously, you look at opportunity in the market. If you're looking at credit, but that's provided looking at credit, interest rate, and all that. If you're looking at other opportunities, it could be anything. If you're looking at logistic, data center, etc., etc., uh, not for human to stay in other places, you look at markets that actually obviously offer you uh, the kind of land size resources, right? So Australia, even in Korea, we built, built to, to match custom-built uh, warehouses, things like that. So that would make sense. In Singapore, maybe not, for, for argument's sake. Singapore, land cost is so small. I mean, so high because it's such a land. We're, we're so short of land here. So it's a different thinking. Last but not least, the third example will be in very major markets where there's a lot of population. Okay, All right? China will be an example. Okay, even Malaysia population is a lot bigger than ours. Okay, Japan, of course. Okay, things like that. So we can look at businesses relating to, let's say, shopping, retail, where there is uh, even residential property, uh, office. So these are things where you look at markets where where it's easier to do business as well. Yeah, just to give you this example, uh, which answers your question, hopefully, but not telling you exactly which market is the best <laughs> or not. <laughs> Yeah, we will talk about Malaysia and in particular Penang in just a bit. But let's talk a little bit about financials. I believe Straits Trading had in late February posted a net loss of $121.8 million for the second half of 2022. And this is a reversal from a net profit of some $111 million in the same period back in 2021. Now, Streets Trading says the performance is due to a reduction in fair values of investment properties in Australia, China, South Korea and the UK. I know you're reporting soon. Uh, what are we looking at for the first half of 2023? Well, as you rightly acknowledge, we are reporting the results soon. So I also cannot tell you anything beyond saying I can't tell you. <laughs> because uh, Tenten, we do have uh, what we call uh, the regulatory uh, guideline yeah. that is a blackout period. So I mm. cannot even whisper to you. <laughs> but I think I could easily share with you what happened in history. I mean, mm. I'm just telling you history. So you asked the first part of the question. So the second part, I can't answer you. The first part, uh, clearly I can give you a simple answer. Uh, you mentioned that the first half uh, of, uh, of of 2021, uh, we, we did well. Then the second half, we didn't do so well. Okay, but of course, this compare each half to a preceding year. So almost like it's a tale of two half, right? You know, like a tale of one half, two half. But I think largely, if you look at the total, it shows two or three reasons why uh, it was what it was. Firstly, uh, the large uh, profit was resulting from a major uh, asset divestment, okay? An extraordinary gain that was made, okay, in that period, in 2021. And so as a result, you post much higher, Right. Then, of course, uh, subsequently, uh, second half of last year, 2022, obviously the market, and as you all know, the Fed has started increasing uh, and, and most of the, the value have the cap rate that all tipped off. So as a result, you obviously have to incur what you call uh, fair value uh, valuation loss. Uh, so they are almost like what you call 
in plain English, paper losses. So that obviously had the other number that was attributed. So there are two sets of numbers. But again, if you take the whole year, rather than the two halves, the whole year actually still returned a profit um, in the full year in 2022. Our EBITDA was still higher than the preceding year. And we still had an EBITDA of 600 million. Yeah. So it's still not bad. I mean, that's life. Okay. So we are a long-term player. So each half, you will have these kind of things over the last, what, like tens of years and, and, and hundreds of years we have gone through. Uh, but of course, the coming year, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we, we will not be able to, to share anything until the results are known. Maybe one point that we can follow up is what's the external business environment looking like, Eric? I mean, we've got interest rates at elevated levels, risk of a recession in some of the major economies. How does that reinforce the need for straight trading to remain diversified? And how would you then walk the tightrope between revenue growth and cost management? Now, firstly, I think each, each market, each country, each city have its own sets of uh, circumstances and challenges. Of course, the broad stroke will be, uh, globally speaking, you can't go wrong by saying uh, 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 geopolitics, it involves everybody. There is a war that's still going on in Ukraine for the last almost well, two, two years already. Uh, and, uh, and, and other little problems that crop up, you know. Uh, environment issues, climate change is another problem, all right? Interest rate, yes and no, because if you look at the Fed, of course, yeah, very high. You look at Japan, slightly different, you know. Different markets follow, you know, and of course, uh, uh, and, and other issues. Um, so if you ask me, I would say uh, uh, two or three things will be very important. Firstly, I think the macro one that nobody can run away from would be political stability. Uh, secondly, I think what's important uh, that when people talk about economy, this is a heavy word to use. Actually, quite frankly, they're looking at jobs, jobs and jobs. Okay. I think if there are jobs creation, you know, uh, their value add, I think that kind of thing helps to propel and grow itself. I mean, it's almost like saying, uh, if you take care of the pennies, right, the pounds will take care of itself, right? I mean, the same philosophy, right? If there are jobs, it all adds up. The economy would, would go, you know, and things like that. Of course, there are other areas that like we all know about inflation trying to manage. Last but not least, I think what I personally felt is most super important is confidence. I think confidence is the single most important factor. Confident almost to everyone, whether it's the people or the businessman or government. Okay, it's all about confidence, and uh, and confidence is uh, also a lot to do with perception. It may not be as realistic as some may place it or misplace it, but I think that's a very important point to to take note, which I think I should share with your with your listeners. The second point, uh, how do we want to uh, manage it as a company? Uh, our advantage can be our disadvantage. Our disadvantage can be our advantage. So we've got to manage that very well. Why do I make such a point? Because like going back to what I said earlier at the beginning of this conversation, we are diversified, right? So clearly, it has turned out to be an advantage because we are diversified. A uh, good example can't match the fact that COVID came, right? Now, if we had just done nothing but hotel, hospitality, among our three businesses, you can reckon we, of course, we won't get wiped out when we still have the financial power to stay through and run through COVID. But because we're doing other things, you know, property values help its, its, its prices in the two, three years of COVID. Uh, and of course, the uh, uh, supply disruption. So that boosts uh, the demand for team. So that, in a way, uh, makes sense out of what people say, a hey, conglomerate diversified is not so useful. Last but not least, uh, you asked me a question like, uh, 
how we're going to define uh, cost and uh, uh, revenue growth. Okay, sure, I'm sharing you three, five-year projection, okay, which I'm not entitled to. Uh, I would just want to give you the philosophy to that, that question you raised. If you look at cost, uh, I know, Tian if cost is like your your cut, right? It's very heavy, right? You, you, you have a cut, your cargo is all laden with cost. And then the horse is your power, is your revenue growth. Clearly, the horse must be pulling the cut, not the cut pulling the horse. Make sure we have that revenue to sustain that kind of cost that we're incurring. Yes, yeah? of course. If you're just yes. tuning in, we're now speaking to Eric Tang, CEO of Straits Development and also Group COO of Straits Trading. And uh, Eric, I know we talked about downturn and opportunities during a downturn. Japan and the UK's real estate sectors have been flagged out. Uh, where do the opportunities lie for Straits Trading? I believe you're looking at infrastructure in Southeast Asia and in particular, Penang, as businesses move to the city. Tell us more about that. To be fair to this uh, very so-called recognised uh, and acceptable market globally by any investors like Japan and UK, uh, I, I would say that uh, the weakness itself uh, is, uh, how should I say, it's a whole combination of factors, uh, okay? Uh, whether uh, the Japanese GM will remain so weak, I don't think it will. It's been for a long time. I think they'll probably want to see uh, uh, it goes higher, you know. UK partly has gone through uh, several rounds of issues, political, for, for instance, in terms of change of uh, government, or sorry, change of prime minister, and also the other issues that they have had running out of uh, Brexit. And uh, so there are many of these other uh, underlying issues. So so I just want to say that none of these markets that we are also involved in ourselves, uh, we should just take it for granted that it's weak. Uh, they could just turn around. One important market that a lot of people have asked, uh, because it only came to their attention last year, uh, was Penang. Okay. And so essentially, to give you a quick spill on uh, what Penang is to us, uh, generally, Malaysia, I think uh, politically, uh, everybody has been, they have their own views of uh, the Malaysia uh, perspective in terms of politics and, uh, and, and, and economic stability, particularly the, the currency. I think they're all, all in one. You see, the whole bundle. Uh, you say one thing, you can say, not say the other thing. So it's all wrapped up. So quite frankly, it's the same problem. Even if you tell me ringgit, ringgit is one problem, the politics is another problem, they're all the same problem. But problems do come and and they have came, and problems do go away, and we are confident, obviously, they will go away. Uh, question is time. Uh, but also bear in mind that uh, some of our, our peers may not understood our philosophy. We were actually a Malaysian company from the very beginning, 136 years ago. <laughs> we were born in Malaysia. Our first business were all in Malaysia. Uh, we were running around in uh, Gopeng. So by and by, we are familiar to what we are doing. And as a result, we have uh, a sufficient land bank that we could uh, take advantage of. And uh, one of these is the Penang, uh, uh, so-called the, uh, the mainland in Penang. As you know, Penang is uh, the island and the, the mainland. Uh, insofar as the potential of the mainland, clearly the market infrastructure is in play. Infrastructure like globally, the, the Chinese have been talking the last 10 years about the Belt and Road Initiative. I'm sure everybody heard about this. Uh, two years back, I think uh, Laos, uh, of all places within the uh, Indochina, uh, so-called hinterland, uh, had already a high-speed station. Uh, clearly, uh, the Vietnamese uh, within the hinterland in ASEAN has been uh, very successful. Of course, the downside is the cost is high inflation, but Vietnam has, is like a mini-China. 
uh, Thailand, of course, is uh, also getting to the act in the last 10 years. A lot of development south of Thailand, the Chumburi area, industrial park. Of course, Myanmar, as we all know, has its uh, greater share of political problems. So nothing much has really uh, got off in Myanmar and uh, Cambodia is still uh, moving along. Uh, so all this means that there's a lot more opportunities in uh, ASEAN within the, within the hinterland. And if you connect back the peninsula Malaysia and including the little red dot that is Singapore, there's lots and lots of opportunities. And it also so happened that Penang itself has been very resilient because other than benefiting from the fact that the neighborhood within ASEAN there is uh, very useful, uh, Penang itself has also attracted a lot of uh, FDI or foreign direct investment in the last three to five years, also partly boosted by the geopolitical tension, uh, disruption and people avoiding to do business in China. And of course, ASEAN benefited, particularly Malaysia, and in this case, Penang. Uh, and that is evident in terms of the foreign direct investment numbers that have grown exponentially the last three years. And, and they're all in manufacturing, uh, some in uh, IT. So all this works very well for businesses. And for us, lastly, infrastructure is already presented itself. It can improve, of course. Okay. And we think we, we will, uh, how should I put it? We are confident that uh, there is future in, in the, what we're doing there. And we just started, actually. Uh, so it's a 10-year plan. Uh, we just started by having our first hotel there. It's phase one. It was built during COVID, okay? Mm. Despite the COVID, the hotel was being built because we're confident that COVID will come and COVID will go and the hotel will, 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 will do well. Uh, so that's our first phase. Uh, and then we have a few more phases coming up over the years. Yeah, so I just want to so add to that that we do see opportunity uh, and especially in Southeast Asia, it does answer your question. Let's look a little bit at the debt side of things, right? Um, Eric, I believe Street Trading had listed a tokenized corporate bond, which is backed by real estate back in January this year. Now, what this does is that it allows investors to earn stable interest income while taking part in the appreciation of an underlying real estate asset. How does it work and how does tokenization of bonds tied to real estate lower the ticket size of private market investments? Uh, largely, that came about for, for two or three reasons. There was a bigger project we were doing at the point in time, uh, which is a longer conversation, but it was called fractionalized uh, uh, property, which we had uh, pilot. We, we, we launched a pilot scheme, successful, I would add to that, two years ago. At the same time, uh, we also had investment in the fintech. Uh, fintech, of course, was a big thing the last five years. MES was supporting it. There were a lot of sand table, blah, blah, blah. So we have uh, partnered ASTEC Financial and they are uh, what we call a fintech exchange. So as an exchange, they will want to have the lowest uh, denomination, just like you buy shares, 100 shares, right? Uh, uh, and your par could be 50 cents or whatever, but you or $1, but you can buy 100 shares. So likewise, uh, the idea was to tokenize it. If token was the, the definition, it's all human definition. Human defined fraction as something else, slightly bigger size, and human defined uh, token as smaller size, okay, like a coin, like a token. So it makes sense for them to take an asset and tokenize it to a thousand piece, very small. It's a thousand dollars to buy an asset. Uh, you can do that, obviously, you need to buy one, you can buy 10, that, that becomes $10,000, you know, and things like that. Uh, so that's how they trade, okay. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's exciting because it's something which is new. People are also not used to it. So these are all very early days yet. That's why I said what I said earlier uh, when I alluded to the fact that we should also look at things forward. 
and not mm. just say, oh, we are happy, we are conglomerate, we should stay put, mm. we have to keep moving forward. Now, having said that, I will also have to talk a little bit about uh, the fractionalization of the product to then tie back to the token, if you could indulge me a little bit more. Uh, the fractionalization is, in simply put, a fraction, as I explained earlier, uh, not like a token. So what we did in two years ago, we took a townhouse, we fractionalized it. So each piece we will give people to sell to a shareholder two hundred thousand dollars. So two hundred thousand dollars, as you know, you buy a, a medium term note or buy a bond would cost you about two hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So that's one aspect of it. Okay. The other one was a GCB, good class bungalow, that most Singaporeans may not be able to buy. You know. Uh, okay, but of course you can rent it. You want to pay the high rent today in the GCB, but we were able to fractionalize it at five hundred thousand dollars. Of course, you can say what can you do at two hundred thousand? A lot of them in the in the feedback session and in the pilot scheme have raised it to us. Uh, some were quite innovative. They say, okay, never mind. Can me and my friend add together and buy one? She said, sure, of course. You know. Uh, so having said that, that was five hundred thousand dollars. Now, if we were to fractionalize it, this is what you buy then we would also want to ensure that uh, if people change their mind, you know, people may invest and change their mind for whatever personal reason they had. And to get out of it, in the case of a bond, you know, your bankers will go to the secondary market to, to trade the bond. In the case of this, it's also new, right? It's almost like we're the, all the so-called early starters. There's only two or three ways to do it. One way is we will help you to take it off. Okay. Second is you, we facilitate for you to sell to a third party Last but not least, there's a liquidity in ASDAQ. Where you go to ASDAQ, let's say you got $200,000, you're able to at least clear X thousand because they yeah. were able to tokenize it to a smaller uh, portion, so to speak, if you follow what I mean. So that helps. So these are the few reasons that we did. And then what do the so-called the customer or the, or the shareholder who have invested, what did they get out of it? Okay, in that particular scheme, it was a uh, no no. NOTE not simply means a loan. Okay, so we give you the participation rights of firstly the return each year. We give you at a point in time, I think we get about 5%. Okay, two years ago, interest didn't kind of like search. So at 5% for say uh, 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 five years, you can get quite a good return uh, mm. in terms of being you know, uh, mm. uh, cumulative. Uh, vis a vis uh, interest rate at a point in time. So, that kind of things we give people. So, I think, and of course, as a note we borrow from you, we have to pay you back. La. That's understood. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's quite exciting. And uh, we're, doing, we're doing a few more things as well uh, down the line uh, in mm-hmm. the next uh, second half of the year. Yeah. Exciting days indeed. Thanks a lot, Eric. That was Eric Ting, CEO of Straits Development and Group CEO of Straits Trading. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3.